Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Let's Chat with Zach. And today I'm so happy to have one of my best friends of all time, Emma Dan, on the episode. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's like a busy time with everything ha going on with the holidays and all that stuff. As you guys know, this episode is called Let's Chat About the Importance of Representation. So we have a very important episode today, a bunch of interesting topics that we're going to discuss. Before we get into that, I just want to like tell y'all how we met because I feel like our friendship has a very interesting origin story. <laughs> we both went to AU and I don't know, we met, what was it, like sophomore year, first semester, yeah. right? Sophomore year, first semester. And we had like a professor that was like trash. I think we were like the only two, like we felt that we were like low-key getting picked on or some shit. And I feel like that brought us like closer and we started like talking more and hanging out more. And honestly for that class, like that, like I feel like brought us, like made us friends. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that like in that class, it was definitely, we were definitely on the struggle bus in that class for sure, because that professor had like so many favorites and we were just not one of them. So no. it definitely gave us a harder time. Yeah, for like literally no reason at all. But after that semester ended, we were like, fuck it, we friends now, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and we've oh. been like low-key inseparable ever since. And I, now that we're what, seven months, almost eight months after graduation, Things have shifted. You moved to New York. I moved to LA, which is like so crazy. Um, so I just wanted to like check and like, how are you doing post-grad? I know like New York, the move from DC to New York, New York was like a big move for you. So how are you doing with that? I'm good. Um, I'm currently like in the job searching market right mm -hmm. now because um, yeah. I feel like post-grad is kind of hard because it's like so uncertain with what you're going to do. I mean, yeah. unless you have you know, like an internship and, you know, they offer you a job immediately after college, but I just didn't have that. Yeah. So um, I think like, it's been a little hard, you know, job hunting, but otherwise oh, everything's been really good. Living in New York is great. I live in yeah. Brooklyn. So oh, really happy here. I'm so, I love Brooklyn. I love New York. And I, rem I remember we were just, I mean, last time I was there, I I think I was with you uh, last summer. Yeah. But no, New York is so great. Like, and I feel like a lot of my friends from DC moved to New York. So now I just have more of a reason to you know come back and visit but I feel you on the being unemployed and like finding your way and navigating post-grad life because everyone's and I feel like this is this isn't talked about as much but like everyone has a different path and I think for us coming out of AU specifically with a culture that was kind of toxic in the sense that we had this like undenying pressure of you know having to succeed with graduating with x amount of internships or having a job before we even you know walk the stage and because like at a lot of schools, a lot, if not most schools, I feel like aren't like that or like don't have that culture or pressure on their students. And I feel like, I mean, there's a good, good thing to that and like bad thing to that, obviously, you know, it just results in us like comparing ourselves to our, you know, fellow classmates and, and graduates that may have secured something beforehand, but that doesn't mean like we're not worthy of a job. And also like, I feel like this is me personally, but like if we spent four years getting a degree that cost a lot of money, we should be guaranteed a job. Like literally, literally guarantee the job. Like no, that I makes agree. no sense to me. Yeah. And also I feel like, I don't know, like I feel like a lot of jobs are are like saying, oh, you need a degree, you know, just in general. But mm -hmm. 
you know, what's the point of having a degree and you can't even get hired? So it's really like annoying and frustrating. Even if you have a degree in something that you don't want to do, I think it should still guarantee you a job regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they don't really talk about it as much i mean i i know when i started college i feel like i didn't really realize this till like later but i feel like a lot of you know job security and making sure you secure something is based on the people you know and the connections you make and i know the industry that i'm trying to get into is like very who you know type of business and like networking is so key and it's very experience-based. Like, I feel like, yeah, some most people have degrees, but I feel like that's just, like, checking off a list. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like some of the stuff that, some of the roles in this industry that I'm trying to get into with entertainment, like, you you can learn on the job or it's experience-based and you could develop that over years. Like, you don't necessarily have to have X amount of whatever classes or courses or whatever, you know, taken at a university to you guarantee your success in in the industry which I feel like is not talked about because everyone's like you have to go to college if you want a good life if you want to have you know money and a good life for your family and whatnot but like I feel like nowadays like people especially with social media people are realizing that you know college isn't everything like you you don't necessarily have to go to college to be successful and also college isn't for everyone for obvious reasons whether that be financial or academic or whatnot so I don't know I feel like that's also just like a society thing yeah no I mean it definitely has to do with like I mean like you kind of said before the type of school that we went to because our school is very like prestigious super into academics so pressured into securing a job like right after graduation and those who didn't secure a job like while we were still in school or while we're graduating like it it gives us a sense of you know, like insecurity in that, you know, we're not like good enough or that we're not, you know, well suited enough for the positions that we're applying for. And it's just like, it's very discouraging in a way because there's so many people at at our school who every single, every single day they have a new LinkedIn post or they're making new connections or something like that. And it's just like, okay, that's good for you. But like, you know, how does it reflect in, you know, like what I'm doing personally. And it's kind of like, we're kind of comparing ourselves to those who are, you know, have that job stability, great post-grad life. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's also kind of just like a little bit of a struggle. No, 100%. And as someone that, I mean, I hate to admit it that I was like one of those people that had like all those interests, but the fact that I did all that, plus everything else I did in college, and I'm still out of college, like, unemployed like that just goes to show that even if I was you know succeeding in that bubble back in DC back in AU and in that you know college community once you graduate and you're thrown into the real world it like doesn't even fucking matter because you're competing with everyone else who fucking graduated and then I feel like the industry that I'm you know trying to get into is arguably one of the most competitive industries out there for like obvious reasons and so it's just like even if you were quote-unquote successful in college that you could still be on a, like, it's just everyone's journey is so different, which just like ama- amazes me. Cause I'm like, I fucking, that, like, I got yeah. F1B, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I still out here unemployed? Like, that's not okay. Oh, for real. Um, and sure. yeah, I don't know. It's a struggle, but I, yeah, I just want to check in with you on that. Cause I know like we were both feeling that experience. And I mean, the good thing is that you know, I know someone else that's 
also going through it because I know it's very easy with social media, LinkedIn posts, all that kind of stuff to like compare yourself to other people and, you know, see stuff, other people's accomplishments, even when you're not asking for it, it just pops up on your feed like randomly. Um, so yeah, just want to check in with you, but like, hopefully now that we're transitioning to holiday seasons, we can get like a refresher and reboost and, you know, rebuild and get ready for the new year. Yeah, start um, to No, literally though, literally. <laughs> okay, now let's transition a little bit to the topic of this podcast episode. If you want to take a moment, Emma, to say how you identify, what your nationality is, and then talk a little bit more about like what representation means to you. My pronouns are she, her, hers. My nationality is Chinese American. And I think representation, um, I feel like representation is really important because growing up, I saw there were obviously back in, you know, the 2000s, there wasn't as much representation as there is today. So growing up, it was always really a bit of a struggle because I always saw, you know, like Disney princesses or, you know, cartoon characters, they never looked like me. And when they did Mm -hmm. look like me, it was kind of like, there's always this underlying racist sort of portrayal of this character. Like they were always smartest in the class or they were the super math nerd or they had like, you know, lines for eyes and and cartoons. And mm-hmm. um, that was super pro- like problematic for me because I always kind of wished that I was white when I was younger because I just thought that, you know, being anything else except for white was so unusual, even mm-hmm. though that's not, you know, how the world works. And yeah. um, I think that, you know, as I've grown up, there's more representation within, you know, the Asian um, community, but there's still a there's so much more to be worked on in regards to, you know, representing Asians in the non-stereotypical way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been, you know, movies such as Crazy Rich Asians or uh, the TV show Blink Empire. There's been a lot more Asian representation, but I feel like it's not enough to the point where little Asian girls can say that they feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, 100% agree. And there's there's one thing that you had mentioned, which... I I don't think I ever admitted to you either, even to my parents, but you had said that when you were younger, there were moments where you, you know, you would wish you were white. And it's so crazy because like, I definitely have experienced that as a, you know, growing up in America as a black male, it's, you know, I have my own experiences with racism and representation means a lot to me, but growing up in a biracial household, being surrounded in an educational system that was predominantly white ever since I could, you know, I was little, all I can remember there were definitely moments where I, you know, wish that I was white. And it, that feels so weird to say. And obviously, I I love who I am. And I love the color of the skin that I have. It did take me, I feel like a minute as I was growing up. And you know, when we we're younger, I feel like we don't really have that knowledge of you know, societal racism yet. And, you know, I feel like a a lot of parents try to shield, like parents that have children of color kind of shield them or protect them as much as they can from like the outside world and stuff. And so some kids can, you know, grow up being sheltered. Having the experiences that I had, like there were definitely moments like that. And it took time for me to grow in my skin and to love my skin and realize that, you know, black is beautiful. And I, like now, obviously, I don't wish I was anything else. And but again, to you, like growing up watching stuff in the media, whether it be on social, in the movies, TV, like there is very minimal representation. And then if there was representation of the Black culture, it was very stereotypical or we were portrayed as like a villain or some form of bad guy because like that's what 
society perceived black people as as, as a threat to them and I don't know it's really hard like I feel like obviously now we're having more conversations about the impact of racism and the importance of representation but I feel like there's something to say about kids of you know POC kids growing up and and having that experience and really having to have like a different life to their white peers no yeah going back to your point about um you know you being a biracial but in a biracial household I was in a household just full of white people <laughs> like yeah. like yeah. I like had absolutely no exposure to my culture whatsoever mm -hmm. growing up like my parents did really try their hardest to immerse me into you know, Asian culture, they immersed me into Chinese school. I learned Chinese when I was younger. I was fluent in Chinese when I, well, I'm not fluent anymore, but I was fluent yeah. when I, uh, in Mandarin when I was younger. And they also bought me like all these Asian snacks, took me to Asian markets, like went to Chinatown. And so they tried, they tried and, you know, even hired an Asian housekeeper to like speak Mandarin to us, mm -hmm. but they tried really, really hard. And I'm definitely super appreciative that they didn't fully shield my me off to, mm -hmm. you know, my culture. But, you know, in a way, me and my younger sister, we were the only Asians growing up in our household. So we had absolutely, um, you know, no exposure to, you know, Asian lifestyle. And my Asian friends who had Asian moms or Asian dads, uh, this and that or whatever yeah. relating to the culture. And I couldn't relate to that because mm -hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. anything about that. Yeah. And so even today, it's like, you know, people, obviously, I don't tell people right off the bat that I'm adopted, but even today, um, my Asian friends are like, oh, my mom, I, I don't know, she did something within the Asian culture, and, yeah. you know, like, isn't that what your, like, parents kind of do, too, or something, or something along the lines of that, Yeah. and that's when I have to be like, oh, you know, I actually didn't grow up in an Asian household, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, that's just not how it is, yeah. uh, so I think that, you know, in a way, it's like, I don't necessarily fit in with, you know, Asian culture, but I also don't fit into white culture. So it's mm -hmm. like, where do I, where's the line between, you know, where I like stand, I guess. Yeah. So it's no. kind of always been like that sort of growing up. No, yeah, I 100% can relate as someone else that's also adopted. And another thing I feel like that ties our relationship together and why we're so close, but that, you know, same, same here, like my my parents tried their best to, you know, make sure I had some remembrance of, of my culture being from Ethiopia and knowing that I was adopted um, from an orphanage at such a young age, uh, you know, they didn't know like how my up how that was going to affect my upbringing. So they wanted they did try their best. Um, and I do applaud them for that. But, you know, there are obviously some things that parents can't protect their children from or they can't prevent from happening. And uh, there are definitely, you know, things that I've learned as I grow up and through my own life experiences. Uh, but I definitely can relate as someone that has, you know, my dad's white. So, and he's, and his family lives um, in Chicago where I'm from. And we, like every holiday, we're like with that side of the family. And me and my brother, who's also adopted, and my mom are always like the only three black people in any family gathering or dinner or celebration on that side of the family. Um, because my mom's side of the family live on the West Coast, but like growing up, we never really saw them because of the quote unquote distance, which is ironic because like, I felt like it's just a one flight, four hours, which isn't that, you know, that far, but I don't know. It, it, it was definitely interesting growing up. There were things that, 
you know, my me, my mom, my brother, like topics that just didn't come up. Uh, definitely there was code switching involved, you know, things like that. I don't know. I wasn't, I don't think until I went to high school where I actually felt some form of culture or community at a school I was at. Um, just because prior to that, I was, even though my high school was a predominantly white um, institution, it was, there were more people of color than like my my middle school and where I went for elementary school, which is crazy to me, even though it was like literally 30 black kids in our grade of like 400, which is like so small. Um, yeah. But it there was enough students of color to have like our own um uh, like black club that we called boss, which stood for black organization of successful students. And I think being in that type of environment made me realize more the, um, impact and the, and the pride that comes with being part of my culture and being black and, you know, realizing that there's power and, in our race and all that kind of stuff. I've always, you know, gravitated towards minority students and, and friends and not to say like, I don't have like white friends. Like I always do like we all do. Um, but there's just things that like, you know, my white friends, I can't really relate to as much as I do my minority friends, even if like other friends that are just minorities, like, even if we're not of the same ethnicity, like, I feel like we can still relate to so many, like, things just because minorities are so discriminated, like across the board, no matter yeah. like race, gender, disability, like all of that, which honestly ties into like my next question as, you know, Two years ago, we had the pandemic, and as someone who identifies as Asian descent, I feel like that was such a pivotal, pivotal time for people in the Asian community because there were people accusing that this was like this disease was from China, and we saw this rise in Asian hate, and which honestly is not okay. And obviously, the you know the passing of all this information that's being perpetuated by our former president, Donald Trump, like all these things that are happening that I can only imagine, you know, made you feel upset. And I was wondering if you just wanted to talk about your experience with that. And, you know, I know that a lot of people, it took them, I feel like it took them a minute to really acknowledge that and, and really brought, bring attention to the rise of Asian hate as that was something I feel that was like spiking during that time. Yeah, I feel like definitely um, racism towards Asians is very suppressed. It's not like talked about a lot. And it's kind of like Asians have always been known to not really like say anything, be on the quieter side. And so mm -hmm. it hasn't really you know, being a been a huge issue until COVID. I mean, still, like, literally three days ago, some random man was stabbed because he was Asian, like, in New York. So yeah. it's just so, like, weird to me, or, like, it's just so crazy. It just baffles me how, like, people are literally stabbing and killing Asians because they're Asian, like, and it's just random acts of violence. It's not mm -hmm. like, like, they're just walking on the street, and all of a sudden you get stabbed, like, that is so random be more aware of my surroundings because like you know you never know what's going to happen and this goes for like every single minority like yeah. you never know what's going to happen there's so much hatred and racism within the world that like everything kind of has shifted in the way that i just wasn't expecting it to um you know when covid started happening because like donald trump was accusing of like mm -hmm. china virus and everything you know chinese chinese which chinese. didn't help <laughs> yeah it didn't help at all and it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting. Yeah, it's upsetting. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I'm glad that, you know, people started to bring attention to that and spread awareness about it, because I feel like we did see a rise of it due to the pandemic. But it's like, nonetheless, like, it shouldn't be 
the case that, you know, as a minority or anyone ever should be in the fear of their life of being stabbed or uh, hurt or, you know, whether that's physically, emotionally, whatever, just because of the race or how they identify. Literally 2023. Granted, like we've come a long way since like the fit, like when my parents were growing up and and I can only imagine, especially my mom, like being black growing, uh, you know, growing up in like the 50s and 60s and can only imagine like the stuff that she went through. And, but it's crazy to think that there's still remnants of that happening today. And I'm sure that my mom, I mean, she said this to me many times that like growing up, she did not in a million years think it was going to like things like this was going to last this long or could imagine stuff happening when she was growing up was could be happening today with, you know, her kids and basically the next generation. And I feel like we have different forms of, you know, racism and discrimination. But the fact that it still exists is just like, you know, it's like not OK. And I hope that I mean, we all hope that we have a better like America and everyone you know loves each other and finds peace and all that but like at the end of the day like people have their opinion like I feel like it's that's easier said than done like you can't force people to change if they don't want to change and if you have generations reciting their same beliefs and passing on to your children because I fully believe that racism discrimination all that kind of stuff is like taught it's you're not like born with it and when you're a child, who, where are you getting information from? Your parents, who are they getting from? Like their family and where you're surrounded from. And um, whether you admit it or not, whether it's consciously, subconsciously, like you intake all of that in. And for some people that feels hate, even if they've never, you know, t- taken a minute to step outside of whatever their preconceived notions are about, you know, X, Y, and Z, or stepped out of their, you know, own community culture and, I feel like nowadays, like when you go to college, I feel like that's the first time a lot of kids are really outside of their, their, what they're used to, their norms and their families, their cities. Like I know when I started at AU, like there are people I met that have, I mean, they told me, they made it a point to tell me that they've never met a black person before. And I was like, I was like, okay, like, first of all, it was obvious. (laughs) It was obvious. Um, Or like the shit, it's, it's so crazy as minorities, the shit that the caucasity that some of these people have have to say to us to our face as if like it's just normal conversation topic like girl no it's not like and we just take it in because like if we react we're the angry black girl angry black guy like whatever and Uh, you know all that ultimately gets you know back on us and and you know how we view ourselves or whatever but it's just so crazy no, it's definitely hard. Like, I don't know. You can't, like, it's hard to correct white people because it's like, you can't expect them to like, you can't like be their teacher, you know? Yes. So, like, and then like, if you, cor- if you, you know, like you said, like, like that person said that you were the black, first black person that he, like they're, they've ever met. Like you can't mm-hmm. be like, oh, like, cool like you know what are you supposed to say <laughs> exactly then, like what <laughs> like you said like if you get angry you just kind of further um like perpetuate yourself into that stereotype that people mm-hmm. have about you know black people or people have about you know all the different minorities so it's like it's like I don't know just you just can't be their teacher and if they want to learn like they'll learn if they don't want to learn then they won't like that's just how it is. And it sucks. No, I cannot enough. I cannot you know, stress that enough to like, it's so exhausting. And I've talked to, you know, my friends about this too. Um, like in my community, like 
it's so exhausting and draining to constantly be explaining our culture or why we experience the experience that we have when people that are wanting to learn about it or people outside of our culture literally have the information at their fingertips like literally could just google it and even if they don't want to like google like you can learn through music and uh video film like there's so many mediums where information is being expressed and executed where but like i don't know why specifically um why people have or feel the need to just come to us as we're like we're every single time going to explain to them or they're going to like tiptoe around whatever question or whatever topic because like they don't know if it's like going to offend us or they don't know if you know they don't want to come off as like a quote-unquote racist and all this kind of stuff and obviously we saw a I feel like a risingness with BLM and again 2020 like I feel like 2020 was just like a shit year across the board for yeah. many reasons no definitely um, and you know at AU like we even before the pandemic since we started back in 2018 I felt like there was a racial incident like every fucking semester like every oh, semester yeah. we had an email yeah. and then it was like so-and-so said the n-word or so-and-so did this some sorority did this yeah. and it's like why does this keep you know, happening and, you know, the president or, you know, the office sends out their little statement or whatever, which is just a statement. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, acknowledges that they know about the incident or, like, it's brought to their attention. Like, whether or not they take action on that, that's, like, something different. But, you know, I feel like yeah. it. there's definitely been a point in my life where I was, like, which sucks. Like, I feel like this, no, no minority should feel this, but I've definitely felt this at the point where it's, like, I'm just, if I had, like, a dime for every time somebody was offensive to like it was just it's just crazy so I, I I just like accept it because like I feel like there's nothing else to do like you just have to live your life and you know there's some and pick your battles I think that's the best way to put it like because there are some like my you know there's microaggressions which you know I for me in particular like I obviously acknowledge and like I know when I'm receiving a microaggression but whether or not I react to that is ultimately my decision but for me in particular I pick my battles because it's just so tiring and exhausting to constantly be fighting it and then it's like you know you're going to be that person that you know is always angry talking about race or always somehow brings race into to the conversation it's just crazy being a minority yeah no yeah I mean going back to your point about the sorority thing um <laughs> I was actually just gonna like touch upon that because I was part of a sorority that had like multiple racial yeah. instances and mm -hmm. of course like you know I was one of three Asian girls in the entire sorority everyone else was white there was like only one black person at the time and um the, you know 2020 that was when I was you know part of the sorority and that was when everything happened mm -hmm. and so we have an instance where this one girl in the sorority said the n-word and yeah. then it was and she happened to be like one of my littles and I was the diversity inclusion coordinator with yeah. this other white girl like I was like okay like whatever <laughs> but, <laughs> but, then, but then it was like we had this whole meeting like everything went down and that's in that I'm not a I like dropped it immediately after this entire thing as happened. you should i don't want to be a part of this like i don't like anyone here and like y'all can go <laughs> do your thing and be racist like goodbye so um but then like because i was and i didn't even thing is it's funny because i didn't even apply for this position they just mm -hmm. gave me because i was a person of color no and way. i was like hmm, what the heck like 
this kind of okay <laughs> yeah i was like this kind of racist like not gonna lie. <laughs> and um so then it was my job to educate everyone in the freaking sorority on why not to say the n-word and then like the the like head people the come of the not company the sorority were asking me to say like oh can you speak about black experiences blah, blah. i'm like i don't i can't speak on black yeah. experiences because i'm not black could like, empathize I, obviously yeah i can empathize but just like i can't speak on that i can't speak on certain issues that i just don't know that much about and obviously i do take my time to educate myself every day but mm-hmm. obviously it's not the same as like being in the in like the body of yeah like, no exactly black. and they can't like that's not okay for them to even expect you to sp- i feel like in that instance they just viewed you as the diversity chair you're the expert in everything diversity which is like not okay but it good yeah. for you for leaving because like i felt like during that time like obviously we saw the rise of cancel greek life culture especially yeah. these social fraternities and sororities that you know they have their little philanthropies like one semester but like you know th- they've never really shown their appreciation or um identifying or supporting like communities of color and then you know they have members who blatantly uh, partake in you know racist rooted acts and I feel like the people that didn't you know leave sorority like at this time and they thought that they could change uh you know the culture a culture that mind you did not like take a year to build like this is like goes all back to like all these systematic issues which is something that cannot be changed overnight, which I feel like a lot of people just have to come to terms with that. Um, even like, cause us as minorities, like we we realize that. We realize that yes, like little by little, there's some little effects of change, but if you want to see like real effective change, like that's going to take time. And I know that there was that one girl that we, you know, we know who she is, who stayed and thought she could... <laughs> Like, didn't, I don't know if she just. Why was I just about to mention that? (laughs) (laughs) Our minds, bro. And I don't don't know if she, like, just didn't want to realize this, that she was literally being used for her, like, her race and how she identifies in, you know, I don't know what that conversation looked like between her and the sorority, thinking that she could change, you know, years and decades of of culture that's perpetuating such violence rooted in like discrimination whether it's like verbally physically like whatnot and that also goes to show like your character like nonetheless like when you take race out of it during that situation like if you because like obviously I had friends that were white that were in sororities that also like just dropped just out of pure integrity like it's just like not okay taking that action is you know from my perspective is a form of symbolism for me realizing that like you realize there's an issue and you are taking the time to, you know, remove yourself, remove yourself from a situation that might have been hard for you because you had certain X amount of generations that were in that sorority, or you thought that that sorority form served as like the foundation for your social life, whatever reasons, you know, you joined or you felt a connection to it, the fact that you're stepping away from it as that action spoke a lot of words like to me, and also vice versa if you knew what was going on even with the rise of everything that's happening and then you decided to stay and act like oh no like we we we're still changing we kicked out those two people that said the n-word like we don't we don't condone this blah 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 blah. okay then why is every semester something happening and also why is it after like what a week maybe two weeks after the news it's like okay we're done going back to like 
taking shots and being sorority girls. <laughs> all this stuff, la, 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 la. Like, back yeah. to happy, be happy. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, like, uh, like, even with the, with the girl, she was, like, part of eboard too. Like, she's literally a huge part of the sorority. And it's, like, she's the only person of color also on the, on the yeah. eboard. Which I think is, like. Like girl, you're being used. Like yeah, she's literally being used. For, she's be she's a diverse diversity token. Like that's yeah. what she is. And it's yeah. like, and it's like also, just like the fact that when I was in that sorority, they're all saying, "Oh, you know, we're changing things within the sorority. We're changing things within the sorority." And it's like, well, how does it look like from an outsider's perspective? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I've been on the inside and on the outside. And now that I'm, you know, like that I've been on the outside for a while, it's yeah. like nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how much I thought that things were changing, nothing has changed. Now then like, you know, actually taking a step back and seeing like, you know, the progression, like nothing changed. And so mm-hmm. it's like, when is that, you know, going to finally be put into effect if ever? So yeah. It's just like, I think that, you know, the people who did step back or, or, you know, disaffiliate from the sororities, it's like you recognize it as a problem, you're actually doing something about it. You know, the people who are, you know, still in the sororities, they're like, oh, there's a problem. I'm not, I'm just going to stay in it because there's going to be change. But really, like, open up your mind, like, (laughs) open your eyes. There's not going to be ever. So just so frustrating it's, it's gonna take time it's not something that's gonna happen overnight and if it takes people to disaffiliate and you to restructure your organization and even if it means like to be quote-unquote inactive for a certain amount of semesters or years to educate yourselves and make sure that you are providing a an environment that not only uplifts you know, your white members, but also your non-white members. And that goes for every minority, whether that's, you know, race, sex, or religion, or disability, like everything. Um, And, you know, as we enter, like, continue entering new years, and with 2023 upon us now, like, it's not more important now than ever to maintain that kind of mindset and that diversity mindset and, you know, equality, because that should just be at the forefront. And, you know, I'm glad that we're honestly out of that type of environment. And I mean, I feel like for us, our college experience was just very unique just because we've, we experienced like so much, I feel like in so little time um, that it definitely affected, you know, (laughs) the last four years of our lives. But another thing that I felt like was really unique to us and our story and honestly, our identity is the fact that we're both adopted. I feel like that, you know, gives us a lot of unique insight into our lives and our values and our culture. And I was just curious, like, have you ever visited Guangzhou, right? That's where you were, you were adopted from or how, you know, growing up being adopted, how has that like affected you? Well, I've always known that I was adopted. My parents always told me like ever since I was little, ever since Mm -hmm. I was a baby, you know, something that has always stuck with me is that my parents told me that, you know, I wasn't born from their stomachs. I was born into their hearts. And it's like, that's something that's- I love that. Yeah, that's something that's really like stuck with me. And they've always kind of, you know, raised me with that principle in my mind. So it's like, you know, even the thought of my birth parents has never really crossed my mind. I think, you know, what I, I have always been curious as to, you know, like who my birth parents are and what they mm-hmm. look like. But nothing mm-hmm. really like beyond that, because if I saw them walking on the street, they're complete strangers to me. Like, I don't know them. 
Yeah. You know, so it's like just because you're my blood doesn't mean that I'm that like your family. Yeah. So um I think that, you know, growing up in this household, they've always raised me, you know, it's it's something that's always like nurture versus nature sort yeah. type of thing. And yeah. I thought, you know, they raised me in a really great way. And I don't think that I would have, you know, been the person I am today if I hadn't been raised by them. And so um you know there's been times where I've been really curious and I actually did travel back to China mm-hmm. um quite a few times to try to find them um my birth parents but and I made a whole documentary on this it was like a whole two weeks that I spent there yeah that's um, awesome I did it for my in high school we had to do a um like a senior project and mm-hmm. our senior project was to find my birth parents but we hired a private investigator. We hired a translator, like literally everything. And wow. China has all the documents, like literally every single document. So there's nothing that goes beyond 10 years. So I couldn't find anything on my birth parents. Like I've tried all these DNA tests, all these blood yeah. tests, and like literally nothing pops up because China's China, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. I think the closest I've gotten to finding my roots is actually going back to the orphanage that... Um, you know, the, the, my companies, the orphanage, that, the people who worked for the orphanage company, because the orphanage, yeah. itself, it burned down like years ago. So they moved to a different orphanage, but um, I went back and I visited mm-hmm. and um, they gave me, it was really, really cute. They gave me a huge welcome back. They had my like baby photo on the screen. Oh my God. Um, they have all my documents in front of me. It was like, um, you know, where I was found, what my birthday was, um, oh my god like all that kind of stuff it was it was this huge paper document so they don't I guess they don't burn like everything but they burn oh my god everything relating to your you know blood and your birth yeah but um so I think that was a very like moving moment for me because I went back to the orphanage I saw all those children there and it was really I was really fortunate to have been adopted when I was because Mm -hmm. a lot of the children were um like special needs and yeah. it was like really kind of disheartening to see all these children like you know they don't even know that they're in an orphanage mm-hmm. they don't know like what their lives are like they don't know like how their lives you know could be if they you know weren't there so um I think that was just a very like it was like so moving and incredible yet like heart-wrenching and mm-hmm. like sad at the same time because yeah. you know I think that you know I definitely am so grateful for that experience and grateful to see um you know where my roots were because that's really the closest that I could get yeah no that's amazing that I mean that must have been such a pivotal moment for you I can only imagine yeah. and you know me as I've had a similar experience, you know, being adopted from um, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I had the opportunity to go back. My parents um, took me back, back in, I think it was like 2009, 2010. Shortly after they like told me the whole story, I kind of knew, I mean, growing up with a white dad and a black mom and having the skin that I have, like it, it's just, I mean, I thought it was obvious, but like, I remember there was a moment, I think I was like, Ugh, I don't know, like maybe four or five. And I was like walking with my dad and I like literally blurted it out. I was like, I was like, oh, why is mommy uh black and you're white? And I'm, black? you know, stuff like that. Like, I feel like, you know, kids are adopted. 
they they just have they just know I feel like um at a young yeah. age and then like and I'm sure when I I was adopted um my parents you know they got told the host you know speech about you know you have to be prepared or by the time when whenever your child is you know ready emotionally to um hear their story or whatnot uh, and I guess prepare themselves or whatever and uh I guess when I was nine or 10, they thought I was uh, emotionally mature enough <laughs> to handle that information. Um, and since I kind since I kind of already had an inclination anyways, um, it was nice to, you know, finally learn more about it. And then they took that opportunity to then take me and my brother um, back to the orphanage that we were from. And my brother was, we're not biologically related. Um, he was just also adopted from the same orphanage, but just at like a different time. And, uh, I did not have the experience you had where they had like the papers and stuff like that must, I mean, my, this experience was emotional for me, but like, if I experienced that, I would have been like, oh my, like, I don't even know how I would react. Um, yeah. But I got to meet the woman who like took me in. Um, Cause I was like literally abandoned and some like random ass bush. Um, and like, <laughs> like I, we just laugh about it now. Like obviously this is not a laughing matter. That's just how yeah. we cope with it. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely an emotional and pivotal experience for me as well. And I think it also just like made me realize how much of a privilege it is to have the life that I have. And, you know, when we went back, we, you know, I saw kids um, that were very malnourished. Like you could see like they're outside of the ribs. There were women that were like walking miles with like uh, buckets to, you know, water wells to get some form of fresh water. Cause, you know, in underdeveloping countries, like famine disease is so prevalent um, that, you know, it's, it's just, it was definitely a life-changing moment. And, you know, I remember I showed up to the orphanage and I mean, the orphanage, like it was standing, but like, it was like run down a little bit. And unfortunately, like a year or two after we left, like it, it like fully shut down. But I remember there was these group of kids that were like playing soccer with like none of them had shoes on and like the ball they were playing with was like half inflated and they didn't even have goals they had like these like half crates or whatever and then um you know it's it's it was just and then people begging it was just such so much was happening at once and also to experience that at such a young age I feel like also is a thing in and of itself um but like I said like it definitely made me realize my life isn't you know don't take this for granted and um being adopted in and of itself is a blessing, but then to be adopted into the family that I was adopted to makes it all the more um, amazing for me and, and my story. But I definitely think that my adoption drives a lot of what I do today, whether I want to admit that or not, or if it's subconscious or unconscious of me to realize that. Um, and whether that's, you know, giving me the the amount of pressure that I, that I have and attribute to myself and, you know, because I don't know if you can relate to this, but I've definitely experienced like moments where I was like, I could have grown up, had a completely different life if I wasn't chosen to be adopted or back then the lifespan in Africa was like, so like, it was not as good as it is here in America. Like I probably would have been lucky if I made it past my teenage years, which is insane to say that to, you know, yeah. and that was what, like 20, like 22 years ago now. And obviously things have you know, the adoption process is very different now if you want to adopt, like, outside the country. Um, but back then, like, the lifespan was, like, not that, not that good. And so, um, you know, I'm very lucky to have the life that I have. And I think that the pressure that I have and wanting to succeed and stuff is 
is rooted in that and like my parents made a decision like to not, like didn't have to do that and now that they did it's like I need to take advantage of every opportunity I have here because if I don't it's like a, a life wasted and you know I'm sure that's I don't know if that's me reading too much into it or whatnot, um, but I'm glad that I have that that form of motivation, and I I'm glad that my adoption is part of my identity. And like you, I never really, I mean, I'm sure every adopted child wonders what their birth parents are like. But same as you, like if I saw them, I mean, I don't think they're alive anymore, from what I've been told. But um, if they were and I saw them on the street, like it, they would be strangers. Like my parents are my parents. Like they are the ones that raised me and that's just facts. Um, but I did when I was growing up, I did have like dreams and shit, which is kind of crazy. I think this is all leading up into like, I think those were like my parents view that as like signs to like tell me or whatnot. Um, but yeah, and like growing up, I didn't really know any other people that were adopted too. Like it was like so crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, there was um there's only in my class we I, I went to a small private school in North Hollywood. <laughs> I went to a small private school in North Hollywood and um yeah. there are only two other people who are adopted in my entire class. Um there are 50 people in my entire class. So yeah, that's there are crazy. Only two other people who are adopted. Um and one of them actually, she's like still one of my best friends today. Her name's Emma too, and she's adopted. Um oh wow. And two white parents, and she's mm -hmm. also like, so it's That's like crazy. You know, we always had that to like bond us together, mm -hmm. and I think I've always been grateful for that because like you know no one else, I couldn't relate to anyone else about you know my experiences and stuff. Yeah, but I think I'm super. I'm like actually grateful for the life that I have because my parents they literally risked their lives to adopt me because my parents were gay, mm -hmm. and back in 2000 you couldn't adopt you know a child when you're gay especially mm -hmm. in a foreign country like literally yeah. you would get you would get the death sentence if they found out that you're gay and you were trying to adopt a child in china so my mom um she flew one of my moms she flew to china alone and um she had to you know literally lie to the chinese government and say oh that she God. was looking for a husband um she's a single mom she's currently looking for a husband that she's straight and um so that was like you know and she had to continue like living that story continue living that story mm -hmm. even you know my other mom couldn't even be there when she adopted me so then once she finally like secured the bag um <laughs> my other mom she flew to china to come meet me yeah um, and you know they couldn't you know they were in public together but they had to be like oh this is um her grandma because my my parents have a really big age gap yeah um but they had to be like oh this is her grandma like she was coming to visit blah 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 whatever mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. so my parents like and they did the same thing for my younger sister because oh that was God. 2003 yeah so like you literally could not could not say that you were gay or that you, you were a part of the lgbtq community because you would be put to death in china and that's something that you definitely do not want to you know be in a situation like that especially in china no so, i did not even i'm that's oh yeah. that's so heartbreaking to hear though the fact oh, that like your parents had to go through that that's insane yeah so there's definitely a lot of discrimination against um lgbtq you know parents yeah. who are trying to adopt which is mm -hmm. so ridiculous even today like yeah i did a whole research paper on this and 
even today, there's still so much discrimination mm -hmm. against LGBTQ families who are trying to adopt from different countries and even in America. So some people can even can't even be like approved for adoption, which is like so sad. But it's so sad because there's so many kids that just they don't care who their parents they just want to be adopted like they just want to be adopted yeah. definitely if i have children i'm gonna be adopting like i no, want to i say the same thing like obviously there there's a part of me that like wants to have my own child but if yeah. there's any reason i can or if i don't find a partner around the time i want i feel like i am definitely open to adoption because like that's how i was brought into the world and i don't feel any less of connection to my parents just because we're not blood related because there's so much you know, families just not defined just by blood. Like, I, I mean, I also view my friends as an extension of my family. Like, yeah. it's just people that care and love for you and that are there to support you. Like, that's, I feel like, are the, you know, determining qualities that make up a quote-unquote family. If you're in the situation where you can adopt, like, you should, like, 100%. Yeah. And as much as I appreciate my parents going, like, halfway across the fucking world to come get me, you know, there's so many kids, like, in our country and in our foster care system that could benefit from being, to being in a family that is very caring and, and can support them and, and things like that. So you don't necessarily have to go all around the country. Like, that definitely, I mean, that's definitely goes to show, like, your character and, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. The, the links that you're willing to go to adopt. And I'm sure like uh, back when our parents adopted us back in 2000, like it was, it probably is so much easier to adopt outside the country than it is today. Like just oh, legally, yeah. I can only imagine like the paperwork, whatever, depending on the country that you're trying to adopt from. Um, yeah, especially everything going on with like immigration and stuff. Yeah, yeah, which adds like another layer, which that's why I was like, I'm there's plenty of kids in our own backyard, so to speak, that could benefit from being in a, in a loving, supporting family. Well, this episode was a lot, but no. I, honestly, it was such great to have like an honest, raw conversation because I feel like, you know, now that we're in 2023, this is still stuff that is not going to go away. Like representation always matters. And as we start to grow and you know we start having kids and the new generation starts to arise like there's things I'm sure that we've experienced growing up that we don't want our children to experience and yeah. I feel like there's just this continuous effort that's put upon us as a society that if we want uh societal change and effective change like we need to like just band together because like this is stuff that takes time so okay. thank you so much for hopping on today's episode and uh, just being the bestest friend girl I love you I love you too <laughs> I miss you so much too like oh uh, I need to go visit New York like so many people are in New York I just need to go visit like I just oh. need to go plot oh. myself also I need to see your new place all that yeah. stuff thank you so much for hopping on and for the listeners thank you for listening you can catch episodes of Let's Chat with Zach on Sundays on every platform wherever you get your podcast Apple Spotify Anchor feel free to drop a like review leave a comment and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Emma. I love you. Love you. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>